With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, in this episode, we're going to review training camp 2021 for the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to go over some transactions. We're going to talk about the new improvements to the stadium, the Ring of Honor, and we're also going to welcome in a special guest, Casey Norris, a friend of mine from Instagram. The unofficial Bengals podcast is brought to you by the Zedia Network. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. Who day? Bengals headlines. Training camp is here. The Bengals are back. And so is Joe Burrow. I could not be more excited. And then you see Joe go 14 for 20 on Back Together Day at the stadium, throwing passes to all the guys. I mean, I'm seeing the training camp reps of him throwing the chase, and every ball that's in the air to chase I get excited about. Same thing with Higgins, same thing with Boyd, obviously all the guys. So just to see the Bengals back in action again is really exciting. But I want to put a little perspective on training camp. And it's because of the fact that everything is so overblown nowadays with the media and social media. And, you know, everyone has access to all of these guys' reps. So occasionally, you know, you'll see Joe Burrow miss a throw. Or you'll see a receiver drop a pass. I mean, there's even footage of Jadavian Clowney on the Browns falling down on like a dummy drill. And because everything is so exposed now, we're, we're seeing all those little things and every little mistake is being magnified. And that's really, I mean, for years and years, football went on without anyone knowing what was going on at these practices for the most part. And, you know, we raise up the red flag when we see mistakes and stuff. But remember, they've been practicing just for a week or so. They've had four practices. So don't read into anything too much, whether it's positive or negative. This is still part of the process. You know, we still have about... 12 days from now until the first preseason game. And even then, it's just beginning. So there's so much more development to do. So let's get not get too high or too low over anything that we see at practice. Although we're so starved for Bengals that it's just exciting to see any action out there. So I do understand it. But on a serious note, I'm still a little worried about rushing these players back from knee injuries. And believe me, I want to see Joe Burrow out there. And the fact that he is out there and he's playing is getting everyone in Bengals Nation excited again. It's giving everyone hope. It's going to sell tickets. You know, I understand all those aspects of it. But, you know, I saw the one picture of Burrow with the knee brace on, taking a snap from Hopkins with the knee brace on. And I know the, I know it's hard to keep these guys off the field. They're warriors. They've rehabbed excellently. It's just a little early. And again, as someone who has torn his ACL, yours truly, it's, it takes a little time. No matter how good your training staff is, no matter how diligently you rehab, no matter how much of a world-class athlete you are, it's still anatomy and human physics. So there's things that go into it. It's, it takes time for these things to heal. And is Joe Burrow 100%? No, he's not. Is Hopkins 100%? Obviously, no, he's not. He's only about six months removed from the surgery. So those are the kind of things that get me a little concerned. The players have the heart and the will, and they want to rush back out in the field. I mean, that's their livelihood, and it's all they know, and it's it's the most important thing in their lives, and I do understand that. But I, I just wish the organization would pull back a little bit and not rush these guys back as soon. I mean, Joe, you're not keeping the guy off the field. I understand it. I mean, I was a fan early on of saying, don't play him until the fourth game. And now, you know, when I say that out loud, people think I'm insane, so... You know, just my perspective, he's obviously going to start week one, and I'm going to be thrilled about it, and I'm excited. I just don't want it to hurt his long-term future. You know, he has a lot of mobility. He had a lot of good scrambles last year. You know, I don't want to see us rush him back, and now the knee is never quite the same, and he just becomes a pocket passer and loses that element of his game. Not trying to be negative here. I'm just cautious because I really do care about these players. I want to see them have long, healthy, happy careers and and a good life afterwards, and you know, we all get a little overzealous and want to see our favorite players and not really think about everything that goes into it. 
So we'll see what happens. I know Joe is going to be okay. Trey is a little bit more of a concern to me because he's only six months removed from that surgery and he plays a position where he's battling and wrestling with guys every play. There's a lot of pressure going on the legs of an offensive lineman when you're trying to block 270-pound defensive ends or 300-pound interior guys. That takes a lot of force. It's it's harder than, say, a quarterback who's mainly taking his drops and stepping into throws. So, whatever. You don't have to listen to me, Cincinnati Bengals, and you probably won't. But just be careful with these guys because we don't want to rush them back for the early returns and have that hurt their long-term careers. So with that said, I'm going to review each position group very quickly to see where everything's at so far after a few practices. It's always fun stuff to do. The defense is ahead of the offense, and and that makes sense. Typically, when you start up for the year, the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense because there's easier concepts. The offense still needs to gel. So, and that's what we're seeing going on in some of the earlier practices. The defense was technically winning over the offense, but that that'll change. You know, it hopefully will get more to a 50-50 level as the preseason progresses. All right, so let's hit the position groups really quickly. As far as quarterback, good to see Burrow back there, making a lot of throws, throwing to our favorite guys. It appears that Brandon Allen's getting some good work in as well. You know, he's finally getting a normal preseason, and that can only help. If something happens to Burrow, we want to see Allen be as ready as possible. On to running back, Mixon is looking sharp. And, you know, a lot of people sleep on you when you miss a whole year or half of a season, or I don't know, he, I think he missed like 10 games last year. And you start forgetting about guys, but he is a legitimate player in this league. He is an every-down back, and he has the size, the speed, the strength, the courage, the football acumen. It's all there, and the Bengals are going to be pumping him the ball so much this year. So expect a monster year out of him. As long as you stay healthy, Joe, the sky is the limit this year. On to wide receiver. We're seeing Chase kind of cut his teeth in the NFL, looking the part, not looking like a rookie. You're seeing Higgins progress All the guys are doing well. They're talking big about Trent Taylor, that he's been like the star of training camp so far, making diving catches. And, you know, that's a hungry player. He's not a rookie that just came in. He's been in the league a few years. He knows, you know, you have to start making your impact now or you're not going to be in the league forever. And it appears that that light has went on and he's doing the job. So, again, I'm rooting for all these guys to make the roster. It looks like he has a very good chance to make the roster, being that he has been the training camp superstar up to this point. And then you have guys like Trenton Irwin, another one, you know, an undrafted wide receiver. When we're going through the depth chart and saying, all right, which wide receiver is going to make the team, I would say most of the Bengal fans would probably think that he's going to get waived or end up on the practice squad. But he's doing everything in his power to make this club as well. So, you know, good luck to that. You're always pulling for those guys. You know, his NFL life is kind of on the line right now, and he's showing up. And then Puka Williams, I'm going to call him a wide receiver because that's what they're moving him to. It looks like he has some really good on-the-field speed and looking like he can contribute as well. We'll see what happens with that. But those are the wide receivers that have stood out, you know, from what I've seen so far in training camp. On to tight end. Obviously, after Uzama and Sample, you have a little bit of a battle for that third spot. Maybe the fourth spot if they're keeping four. We're not sure. I kind of think they're going to keep three and then practice squad, maybe two of them. And Coach Callahan, his take, he was talking about who the guys that were in the mix for the third spot and that was Mason Shrek, Thaddeus Moss, and Mitchell Wilcox. So that doesn't bode as well for Wells and O'Grady. It looks like maybe those guys are destined for the practice squad. But the other three guys, that's going to be a nice battle for that number three spot. And you have two guys in there that are more pass catchers, one guy in there that's more of a blocker. I think they're going to lean more towards a pass catching tight end. We'll see what happens there. But that's a fun position group to watch. It's kind of an underdog position, not a glamour position. But we have a a good battle going on there, and you know Joe's going to find these guys. No matter who you're putting out there at wide receiver or tight end, Joe Burrow is going to find them. So you're looking at a guy who's going to get some receptions this year out of the three of those guys battling. And then offensive line, you haven't heard that much about it, except I guess the guard position has been the main focus. They have Spain and Suofilo starting at the guards right now, and Jackson Carmen's kind of the third guy looking in you know, trying to fight for his spot. I don't know how that's going to pan out, but I do respect it. You know, you have the two veterans in there. They've seen time in this system and obviously in the league. So those are the two guys that you start with, and you let the rookie work his way up, hopefully crack the starting lineup. Either way, out of the three of them, if we get two good functional guys and one good backup, we're, we're in good shape. And then the other news about the offensive line, Jonah Williams came in 10 pounds heavier, and I like what Frank Pollock did there, to be honest with you. He said, Jonah... 
you're a great technician, you have promise in this league, but you're an undersized tackle. And and he was. I mean, at 6'4", I think he was 305 when he came into the league. That's a little undersized for your left tackle and very undersized for your right tackle. So Pollock gave him the encouragement and said, you know, maybe put on some weight. Maybe that'll help your game a little bit. And as long as you put on weight intelligently, it's a good thing. You know, if as long as you're building your muscle and sculpting your body as you're putting on that weight, it's not going to be a detriment. If you just put on 10 pounds out of the blue and then go as full force as you used to, you could be primed for an injury. But I'd like to think that in this case, Jonah put on the weight properly and it's going to be an asset to his game. Defensive line, haven't heard much there except the Ogunjobi injury. And that's just giving me flashbacks of last year. And again, last year means nothing to this year. It's not like this happened last year, so it's going to happen every year. No, that's not the way it works. But just to get... You know, one of those starting interior defensive linemen hurt already. It's a hamstring. You know, I'm sure he's going to be back relatively soon. But you just get that eerie flashback of, oh, man, they're starting to go down now. You know, Wren's kind of not ready. Reader's kind of not ready. Ogunjobi's hurt. Tupo's coming back after a year off. You know, you have a lot of things there. We just don't want to get into the boat that we were in last year where we're pulling guys off the street and they're starting against, you know, the Ravens and the Browns with those offensive lines and those running games. So we're going to keep an eye on that situation. Nothing to panic about yet, but let's cross our fingers and hope that this defensive line stays healthy because it's not fair. Like last year, we came in thinking it was going to be four guys, and there were many games where there was four totally different guys playing that position. And you saw the effect. I mean, we didn't have that great of a defense. We suffered against the run. If you don't have that continuity and you're playing with guys that you didn't expect to play and haven't worked with all this time, there's going to be problems. Linebackers, I've heard that the group's been active. I heard that Logan Wilson's going to be wearing the headset. And that's a good role for him. He does come across as in that leadership role. And hopefully he's going to be an every down backer in here. And we'll see what happens at that position. It looks like they're pretty set there. And then there's been high praise for the defensive backs. Bates is picking up where he left off. Bell is picking up where he left off. It's looking like Awuzier and Waynes are already playing well. And they're saying that they're a better combo than what they had there last year. And, you know, that's, that's what we need. And it's been tight coverage in training camp and contested balls. And remember, these guys get to work against really good receivers. You know, covering Tyler Boyd out of the slot, not easy. That's a good test for Hilton. Higgins and Chase on the outside, that's his athleticism, speed, catch radius, jumping ability. Good test for our DBs to be going up against these guys every day, and vice versa. Iron sharpens iron. Let's see how these DBs take on other receivers from other teams, but so far, so good. Then on to special teams. Haven't heard much about the punt return game. No one has really jumped out yet. It seems like they're all kind of equal at this point. That's going to be fun to see how that develops. And then both kickers are kicking well. Cyber and McPherson are, are like not missing anything. And, you know, that's that's a good battle. You know, you respect Cyber. It's a very uphill battle for him. They, they drafted McPherson for a reason, and he's got the big leg. I saw the footage of McPherson kicking the 60-yarder in practice and uh, he just missed. I mean, it was long enough. It was way long enough. So that's encouraging. You know, if ultimately he is our kicker, which I think he's going to be, and you have a guy where, you know, you're in that 55, 57 range and you feel good about getting him out here, that helps the offense so much. You don't have to move the ball as much in those pressure situations. You know, that's what the Ravens do with Tucker. And, you know, I don't like to praise our opponents. I mean, Tucker is going to the Hall of Fame, let's not lie. But, I mean... You know, you put him at 55 yards, and he's he's making it. You know, you don't really have a question about that. If we have a guy like that, we're going to be just as deadly. All right, so that'll do it for the position groups. Last thing I wanted to say about training camp in general is this is how much of a Bengals fan I am. When I heard the Aaron Rodgers news that he was actually returning to the Packers, all I was thinking about was, ah, the game against them is going to be a lot tougher than we thought. You know, just as a Bengals fan, I don't care about the other teams. I don't care who plays, who comes, who goes. I just want us to have the biggest advantage that we have when we play them so we can move on to our goals of playoffs and AFC champions and then ultimately the Super Bowl. So I was kind of looking forward to seeing Jordan Love in there, a backup, you know, a little bit easier of a win. Now we have to battle Rodgers. It'll be a good test for the team. But anyway, just that's how I think about the league. It's all about the Bengals. Bengals transactions. All right, let's move on to some transactions. So the big transaction over the last couple weeks was signing Sam Hubbard. Four years, $40 million. He's a homegrown product. He loves this team. He's a good leader. He's shown flashes of being a good pass rusher. 
He's a very good run defender. He can make the big play. He's a starter in this league. And to get a starting defensive end for $10 million a year, that's a good deal. You know how, I mean, what did Lawson get? Like $15 million? You know, some of the other guys are getting upwards of $20 million for the, the real high-end guys. So to have a guy that wants to be here for four more years that the fans love, the organization loves, for $10 million a year, that's a big savings. We can use that money at other positions. So very good move on the Bengals' part. And Sam, I'm wishing you luck. I want to see you get back to those double-digit sacks and and keep it going. You know, become the greatest pass rusher in Bengals history. It's it's right there in front of you. Let's do it, man. Then they signed a center, Lamont Galliard, from Arizona Cardinals. He was a sixth-round pick. They waived him. He's played in 13 games in his career with two starts. He's 25 years old. We don't really know. I don't, I don't know if that's insurance for Hopkins. I don't know if that's to push Billy Price, or I don't know if it's just a player that they've coveted and said, wow, he's available, let's grab him because he's someone that can help us. So any offensive lineman they're bringing on at this point is good. Bolster that line and make sure it's as good as possible to protect this great quarterback and this great offense. So you know it as well as I do. Anytime we see an offensive lineman signed, it's a good thing and we're excited about it. So, you know, we'll see what Galliard brings to the table. By the same token, they signed another tackle, an undrafted guy named Gunnar Vogel. I don't know anything about him in all honesty. I see that he's 6'6", 3'10". I mean, those are just numbers on a page. I've never seen him play, so I can't make a comment. It's just that's a little lean for that height, and sometimes it's a leverage problem when you're going against smaller, shorter defensive ends that have a lot of power. But, hey, it's another offensive lineman. It's another guy for Frank Pollock to work with, and it's another potential player that could be out there protecting Joe Burrow. We'll see what happens. And they signed another wide receiver, Reese Horn, and that must have been a guy that they've had interest in in the past because we're pretty loaded at that spot. So to bring in someone else, you're either saying, I've seen some things I like about him, or he's a good special teamer. I mean, there's a lot of things that could be in play there. We don't know yet. But either way, Galliard, Vogel, Horn, welcome to the Bengals. I'm rooting for you. Be the best you can be. Make the club. Sky's the limit. You're in the arena. And then we go on to the things that aren't as fun to talk about, which are the injuries. So they have the NFI list, which is the non-football injury list. So that means that you got hurt not in team activities. You got hurt away from the facility. And that isn't an ideal situation for guys when you're put on that because technically you don't get paid if it's a non-football injury. So there was four guys that started the season on that. Obviously, Akeem Adenogy, we know that he's out for the year. Wyatt Huber, that's a disappointment. You know, you think, all right, he's that other pass rusher, the crazy guy, we can get him in there. Hopefully he, he makes the team and it's going to be, it's a tough climb for a seventh rounder, miss your whole rookie year. You know how the NFL works. They're cycling other guys in. By next year, maybe he's healthy again, but they have a sixth round defensive end that's going to be battling for his spot. Just a very bad break for his career. You know, wishing him all luck in the world. Do your best at rehab and keep your mind positive. You know, anything can happen, but it's a tough start. And that's a little bit of a lesson for us Bengal fans as well. When they, when we see the draft, we're looking at every player that we drafted and just assuming that they're going to come in and be impact players. And it doesn't work like that, right? You can go back on past drafts and see, all right, only three guys out of this draft ever panned out. And, you know, you see examples of that here. When you see guys get significant injuries early on in their Bengals career, you know, sometimes they're the guys that don't pan out, unfortunately. But I'm not wishing that on Hubert. Let's hope that it's the total opposite of that, but a very tough break for a young player. And then Drew Christman went on the list with some kind of hand injury. I haven't heard much about it since, but you know what? If Christman can't play this year and we're able to put him on some kind of injured reserve and, you know, keep him without having to take up a roster spot, that could be ideal because, you know, they're looking at him as a possible replacement for Huber a year or two down the road. And if you can do that without taking up a roster spot, that's that's a big advantage. So not fun to see anyone hurt. I hope it's nothing really bad, but it, it wouldn't kill the team if he was on injured reserve. You, you heard it here first. And then Camp Sample ends up on the list too. Hamstring, it's just tough. You know, it, hamstrings, I've pulled my hamstring several times. It's a killer. You don't understand. You can't burst when you have a hurt, hurt hamstring. It's just a tough injury, and it, it gets in your head where you're almost, even whether it's healed or not, you're afraid to burst because you think it's going to go again. So I understand it's early. You get those soft tissue injuries. The NFL's actually put money into hamstring injury research so hopefully as time goes by they figure out a better way to treat these and they become less of a hindrance but you know you see it all over it happened to Higgins at the end of last year 
happens to old players and young players. Young players because they're not ready for what what's about to hit them, and sometimes they're trying. That's it. When you, it's almost like when you push your legs harder than they're intended to go, you're susceptible to those types of injuries. And if you have a really strong, really strong quads, which all of these guys do. That puts a lot of pressure on your hamstrings, too. You have that imbalance in your leg. So, you know, we'll see what happens with Cam Sample. It wasn't good news to see one of these young pass rushers already battling that injury because that could linger for a while. But I don't know how severe it is. Better to keep him out and let it heal up, and hopefully near the end of training camp he comes back, and hopefully he has some kind of contribution this season. And as we talked about earlier, Ogunjobi on the PUP list, a hamstring injury there, too. So, again, it can happen to the veteran or the rookie same thing, you know, use caution. He he knows, as, as long as he's up on our system, he knows how to play in this league. He doesn't need as much time in training camp as everyone else. So again, hold him out as long as it takes. Let's try to get him to the starting gate week one because he's going to be a major contributor. Darius Phillips, I've heard a couple reports. I've heard that he's playing well and I heard that he tweaked his knee. It doesn't seem like anything major, but he has had some knee issues in the past. So although it's nothing to pull the fire alarm on right now, Let's just keep an eye on that. And the good thing is there's really, aside from what I just mentioned, the non-football injury list and, you know, the couple pulled hamstrings, there hasn't been any major injuries through the first week of training camp and everything leading up to it. So, so far, so good. Let's keep it going like that because that's the last thing that you want is guys getting hurt in training camp. Look at Carson Wentz. Already that team is scrambling. I mean, if he doesn't come in for the Colts, they're they're really going to be scrambling at quarterback. So we haven't been put in that position yet. And let's cross our fingers that we go a whole preseason without being in that position. All right, so as I was editing this episode, there was a couple new pieces of news that came out that I figured I would address during this episode. So there's a couple other injuries. We have Fred Johnson with a quad injury and Riley Reef with an ankle injury. And that shows how fragile we are at tackle. You know, these guys are probably going to bounce back and be okay. But the go-to backup tackle at this point is Deontay Smith, and that's a fourth-round rookie. So that shows it's a fragile line. we got to keep these guys healthy because one or two injuries, and we could be in a little bit of trouble. They reported that Joe Mixon had an ankle injury that they're kind of nursing him back from, but he's had a couple big running days even with the ankle injury. So, you know, I hope they proceed with caution with him. Don't give him too many reps in training camp right now. We want to definitely see him be one of the guys that gets to that first game in one piece. And Trey Waynes has been in and out of training camp practices with some undisclosed injuries. So, again, hoping that that's a minor thing. And with all these guys, we want to get them the work. We want to get them the reps. We want them to be totally familiar with the system. But you want to see them get to the starting gate healthy. That's more important than any practices, any scrimmages, any preseason games. And then back to my other point from before about reading too much into training camp. You know, a video that has come out recently is the Jesse Bates strip of Jamar Chase. And it is kind of bittersweet. You know, you're happy that Bates had the strip. You're unhappy that Jamar Chase had the fumble. But we can't read too much into it. You know, I know Jamar Chase has had a couple drops. He had that very highly social media publicized fumble. But, I mean, he's a rookie in his first week or two of training camp. I have full belief that this guy is going to have a monster season this year. So let's not get all crazy with things that happen in training camp. Because like I said, it's just a couple weeks in. There's so much time until the season comes. And when the season comes, there's much more urgency than there is in these training camp practices. You know, if there's a guy on the bubble, the roster bubble, yeah, he's going to be going absolutely crazy in training camp to prove himself. Someone like Chase, believe me, I know he's hustling there. But he knows he's making the squad, whether there's a drop here or a drop there. So, again, let's not read too much into it. Even Joe Burrow, over the last couple days, was 19 for 40 in passing. And that's very un-Burrow-like, and, you know, everyone's worried. Is it the knee? Is he losing something? No, no. It's just training camp. It's the defense is a little bit ahead of the offense. There's not that urgency yet. Still trying to develop consistency. So, again, let's not go crazy and read into any of this stuff. Let's enjoy the preseason, and we'll trust that our star players will be stars once week one comes around. The Elizabeth Blackburn Effect. All right, back to the Elizabeth Blackburn Effect. I I am getting Elizabeth on this show as well. Just remember, Joe Burrow, Elizabeth Blackburn, they're going to be my two number one guests, hopefully sometime this season, and if not, hopefully soon. Believe me, I'm working on it. But just the effort and pride that she's putting into this team 
you realize you have an NFL franchise. You already have that that palette to work with. And because you have that, now you can make these improvements. You're already an NFL team. You're already one of 32 elite monster corporations or whatever you want to call it. So to have that behind you and now saying, hey, I'm we're going to come in with new ideas and we already have the forum to do it. So that's exciting. It's The new jungle is going to be so cool. The biggest quote that I heard, and it wasn't from Elizabeth, it was from one of the other people that's in charge of redoing the stadium. They said this, anything that moves or makes sound in the stadium is going to have a fresh look and feel. That's cool. I know they're gonna, there's going to be some scoreboard changes. You obviously have the Ring of Honor. There's going to be a whole bunch of like orange all over the stadium. They're going to have fireworks after every touchdown. They're going to have a ruler of the jungle, like some, you know, almost like I don't know what team does it. They have a guy beating the drum before the game. It might be the Indians in baseball. I know there's a couple other teams that do stuff like that. But that's going to be fun. And again, Elizabeth or anybody from the front office, if you're listening, you know, you got a potential ruler of the jungle here. You give that to me against the Steelers, we'll never be the same. So anyway, exciting stuff. The fireworks is a cool thing. I just don't want to see a fireworks display go off if we're down like 31-7 and we score a meaningless late touchdown. I hope they show a little bit of awareness when it comes to that. But we'll see. Either way, exciting. They're redoing the stadium. They're redoing the Bengals' image. They're redoing the Bengals' social media. We're, we're there. This is exciting times to be a Bengal fan. Burrow, all the young players a team that averages like 25 years old and then you have all these fresh changes coming into the organization this is like probably the most excited and hopeful I've been about the organization since Marvin Lewis took over because before Marvin Lewis it was it was a little bit of a train wreck for a few years he came in and just cleaned things up from the bottom up you know from the facilities to the diets to caring about special teams to being able to bring in free agents and now we're seeing a resurgence of that now we keep reinventing ourselves, right? We had a Marvin Lewis reinvention, which was very successful. And then you had what they call the Green Dalton reboot, which ended up being very successful. And now you have the Burrow Blackburn reboot. Look out, Super Bowl, here we come. The Cincinnati Bengals Ring of Honor. So that brings us to the Ring of Honor. And all four gentlemen in the Ring of Honor spent their entire careers with the Cincinnati Bengals. So when you're thinking about guys in future years that are going to make it, it might be the guys that had their whole career with the Bengals first in line, and then you get to the other great players that we have that may have went to other teams. So I've been a Bengal fan since 1976, and I don't like to broadcast that because I get a little self-conscious about my age sometimes, but I saw Ken Anderson play. I was at a game when Ken Riley had three interceptions, so I it, it was fun to see the culmination of these guys' career. I mean, when Ken Anderson, back in the day, you just knew him as such an accurate quarterback. That was the reputation that he had when I was following the Bengals back then. I think he had one game where he was like 25 for 25, and it was a record for a while, but that's the way he was. He was accurate. You just knew he was one of the quality passers in the league. He didn't have the big name of a Montana or a Marino or a Terry Bradshaw or, you know, insert guy here. But he could throw the ball as well as any of them. And they put him in the right system, and he had mobility, and he had courage, and he had leadership. He was an amazing player to watch and literally one of the best Bengals in history. So it's very good to see him in this ring of honor. And Ken Riley, just the quiet guy, like you forgot about it. You forgot that you had a guy at corner who could just lock it down consistently and that's an, a very underrated trait in the NFL we all search for that and to do it for so long and the big thing from his career as I said I saw three interceptions I went to my first memory of the Bengals ever was I went to a Bengals Jets game in 1976 and it was Joe Namath's like last game with the Jets at home or something like that but Riley had the three interceptions that game one of one of them was off Namath I think and two were off the backup but That's the thing about his career. 65 interceptions. You really probably aren't going to see that ever again. Guys just don't stack up interception totals like that or play as long as as guys like Ken Riley. So that was big. And the other thing that you forget about is in addition to the 65 interceptions, he had 18 fumble recoveries. So that's a guy responsible for 83 turnovers. I mean, you could take some entire defensive backfields in the NFL right now, and they might not even have half of that as their career numbers. So just think about that. You could you could load in four guys, and you know if they have forty two turnovers over their career, 
combined, you're considering that a good unit. Here's a guy who did it by himself. So congrats on the ring, ring of honor to Ken Riley. Wish you were here to see it, but I know that your family is. So, you know, that, that's, that feels good to me as well. And then the last thing, I just wanted to talk about Ken Anderson talking about Joe Burrow. And it's like a high-level analysis that almost like an NFL quarterback would say about an NFL quarterback. So I'm just going to run through some of the words that he said about him. He called him the real deal. And as Bengal fans, we see that. I mean, I saw it already. I saw it his first two games as a Bengal. I was like, this guy is the real deal. So yeah, Ken is accurate there. Demeanor. That's a big part of it. You need to have that that confidence and that swagger and, you know, knowing that you're prepared and knowing that you're skilled enough and carrying yourself that way. So that's a big part of it. Leadership. Joe is a born leader. I mean, that's a great observation. We've seen it. I mean, wherever he goes, he's a leader of men. Poise and accuracy. And that's what Ken Anderson had. You're not getting all jumpy in the pocket and you're putting the ball where it needs to go. Those are two massively underrated traits of quarterbacks that lead to the best quarterbacks. That's Tom Brady right there. That's Ken Anderson. And that's Joe Burrow. And then the last thing, this is more of a high-level analysis that I really respected. He said that Joe is conscious of the community and the position that he plays. So he understands the importance of being a starting quarterback for a team in the NFL and being that man in the community. So he's aware of that. And that's that's big at as a second-year player in your mid-20s, you're already aware of those things, the significance of your role, and obviously the position that you play. Quarterback is the most important position in football, and I'm going to argue one of the most important positions in sports in general. So to hear Ken Anderson talk about Joe Burrow like that, and then Burrow did an interview with Boomer Esiason, and he had similar sentiments. So our two greatest quarterbacks are all on board for our newest greatest quarterback. Let's go. Unofficial Bengals podcast would like to welcome Casey Norris. All right, I'd like to welcome our next guest. Now, this happens to me occasionally on Instagram. I run into someone who always brings some really cool insights, maybe makes some comments on my post, whether agreeing with me or disagreeing, still just very intriguing stuff. And um, I want to introduce our next guest who is on his way to being a doctor, recently married, basically a world traveler and a massive Bengals fan. I'd like to welcome Casey Norris. Casey, how are you today? I'm doing well, Frank. How are you? All right. It's good to have you on, my friend. So let's get right down to business. How did you become a Bengals fan? Yeah, so my my dad was a uh, a Bengals fan, so obviously that was my first introduction. Um, But I can remember being, as a kid, you know, we'd have Bengals games on, but, uh, you know, I get to see all the other teams playing the Bengals but the Bengals uniforms were always just so cool to me I always you know I can remember the tiger in the middle of the field and it was like man that's so you know that's that's my favorite animal right that's the tiger in the middle of the field and you know I can remember in like third grade I did a report on tigers and like it's like yeah that's my favorite animal so Bengals are you know they got the the stripes on the helmet it was that, that was my team when I was a little kid peewee football um in my area, we actually still call it midget football. But anyway, um, I was a running back in, in youth league. And so when I was little, Corey Dillon was the running back for the Bengals. And obviously, that's right at the time, you know, 200 and whatever, 78 yards against the Broncos. And he was so cool. And I had a card of him. My, my birthday falls on like October 16th. And his, I think, is like October 12th. And I remember thinking, oh, man, that's just so cool. I'm I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be Corey Dillon. I'm going to be the running back for the, for the Bengals. I used to tell people that too. I'm going to be the running back for the Bengals. Um, yeah, he was, he was 6'1", 225. I used to pray every night, Lord, make me 6'1", 225, just like Corey Dillon. I love it. And, you know, judging by your answers and what we've talked about, I knew that you played ball at one time. And Corey Dillon is one of the toughest, coolest Bengals of all time and their best running back up to this point. Absolutely. Yeah, he could do it all, man. He was fast. He he could run. He could run you over. He could, you know, spin move. He was he was not, you know, if you remember at the time there was like Jamal Lewis who was just a bulldozer, right? There was uh, who there was the guy from the the Broncos who was like a speedster, you know, he was um, all about the jukes and stuff. And Corey Dillon just seemed to just put it all together. I mean, he could run up the middle. He could get outside. He could catch the ball. You know, 
And then the other piece too is, man, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember he would cut the the, the tips of his gloves off? He cut them at the middle knuckle, so that his fingertips, you know, were just his fingers. And I, I as a kid, I thought that was just so cool. I thought that was the coolest thing. Nobody else did that. He was, at least that, that I knew, he was the only one that did that, and I thought that was sweet. Yeah, he definitely had a coolness to him. And back then, I mean, there wasn't a lot going on with the team. Those were some pretty lean years. So in two regards, I'm glad that you stuck with the team through that. And Corey Dillon was the man. I mean, there were there were times where he was the only thing to go to the games and root for, you know, at, at certain points in their history. Yeah, absolutely. And then going on from there is like, you know, I can remember there was um, early in the 2000s, there was the, uh, the Browns-Bengals game where it was like, 51 to 54 you know and I think that was one of Chad Johnson's early big games you know he had a 70 or 80 yard reception in that game and it was like his kind of coming out party and then um so then obviously you know as Rudy Johnson went away which um, not as Corey Dillon went away and we got we didn't have a lack of running backs right I mean we just you followed that with Rudy Johnson who was a multiple thousand yard uh season guy and Cedric Benson multiple so like and we had this 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 long line of sweet running backs but then anyway after Corey Dillon Chad Johnson took over and he was just you had to watch him you had to you know you just had to watch him who knew what play he was going to make and then who knew what the heck the the touchdown celebration was going to be you know yeah he did make the team relevant for a while I mean he was winning AFC receiving titles and acting very demonstrative on the field 100% I mean he, he was very exciting and I would agree I think Dillon kind of passed the excitement torch to Chad Johnson that was a fun time. I didn't. Yeah, obviously, like you said, they didn't. Uh, they didn't win a whole lot of games, but they were a lot of fun to watch for sure. That was the other thing. Bengals had a a, a a run of like amazing corners, right? We had after Hawkins, we had Tory James and Delta O'Neill, who were like two years back to back there, where they were having like ten and fourteen picks together. Like that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that and was the a lot of fun. and the Ashley Ambrose, Jimmy Spencer. I always talk about those days with uh, Spencer and Ambrose, and then what do you have? Hall and Joseph, and then Adam Jones. Right. I mean, you're you're exactly right. A very rich history of corners, and obviously we go back to the beginning with Riley and Parrish. I, I totally agree. All right, so let's move on to the next question. So, what are your opinions on the current roster and the off season moves? Yeah, man, I'm. I'm... <sighs> I'm glad that uh, it's it's unfortunate that we had to to move on, but I'm I'm glad that we did. So the the big cuts that just hurt to move on from, you know, was uh, Green and Adkins, right? So everybody, you know, if you're a Bengals fan, you wanted you wanted Green and Adkins last year to just be the heroes that we've you know come to love, right? But they just weren't getting it done, you know. And we were paying, I mean, we were just paying too much money paying too much money for him so that money was you know much better spent different ways and uh and so no the guys that uh, that we brought in man I, I i don't know how much you know football outside of the Bengals you watch but i caught a saints game one time i think they were playing the buccaneers and i didn't watch a whole lot of it but there was a three and out one time the saints were on defense and saints defensive lineman was just getting after it and he, he had a sack on first down and then he had a a QB hit on second down and then he had a sack on third down and I'm like holy cow this guy he's not uh clowny out there this person isn't just absolutely throwing people like Aaron Donald or making these ridiculous spin moves he's just getting after it he's just making second second and third chances on the quarterback and things like that and it was it was Trey Hendrickson it was Trey Hendrickson for the Saints and uh and so then when it, when it came up that we were going to sign this guy, I'm like, holy cow, okay, yeah, I can do that. You know, this guy, he's, he's, he's just a hard worker. He's obviously not, you know, the most athletic guy in the league, but he just gets after it. Dude's a high-motor guy. It's fun to, watch, fun to watch those guys for sure. If you remember the dude that he made all, these, all this news was um, when the Cowboys were playing the Giants, you know, Saquon Barkley is this, big time guy you know he uh he'd had there for a long time remember his rookie year he had like the fastest they track all these guys speed right for all the games and he had Saquon Barkley like had one of the fastest times and sure enough they're playing the Cowboys and this and and Barkley breaks one off and gets hawked by this guy from the Cowboys I mean just walks Saquon Barkley down 
you know, other end of the field, just walks him down, hit 22 miles an hour. And sure enough, Bengals pick him up too. And I'm thinking, okay, great. You know, I mean, we got to, you know, we play Lamar Jackson twice a year, right? If we're going to get to the Super Bowl, eventually we got to beat Tyreek Hill, right? And all these other guys that the Chiefs have, it's like, okay, I'll take a, I'll take one of the fastest guys in the NFL at corner. Thank you very much. And you know, Casey, that's the right way to look at it. The, you know, you, I love the way you built up the stories on both of those guys. And you're talking about guys that you actually saw game footage on. It's not just, wow, the Bengals picked up this guy. This is the scouting report, so I'm just going to believe that this is the player. I mean, you're citing specific examples from games where you saw these guys do outstanding things. So, yeah, hopefully both of those guys work out like that. Um, what, what about some of the other guys? What are you thinking there? Well, you know what, what the Bengals have never done? A lot of times we lose guys to our rivals. You don't get a ton of AFC North guys coming to the Bengals. It happens here and there. Don't get a ton of it. And here you got Larry Ogunjobi from the Browns coming over. I know that he's on the inactive list right now. I don't know what how he's how he's hurt or whatever, but I think he'll be a contributor, right? And then um, you know that Mike Hilton, who is this slot corner, who was. You know, PFF rated him one of the one of the better slot corners in the league, starter for multiple years, going from the Steelers to the Bengals. I mean, that's just a huge pickup for, I mean, the locker room, for everything. Obviously, you want a good player, but, I mean, you know, I mean, it takes it takes, it takes a certain attitude to win, right? I mean, you got to – teams have to believe that they can win before they can win anything, right? And uh, you, hear, you hear Hilton just flat out saying, he goes uh, – you know, I mean, it, it, well, it's it's everybody. The uh, Woozy, Riley Reef, Hilton. That's this common theme. It goes, yeah, Joe Burrow, it's Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow. It's, you know, he, they're like this. This guy's the next star. He's the future of the NFL. You know, things like that. And it's like, great, right? Great. You know, now I want the locker room thinking, my work, losing guys, losing guys to the Bengals because that's the place to be. You know, I mean, it's 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 a mind game before you even start before the first play even goes. You know. I love taking guys from from AFC North teams. Excellent observation, and I totally agree with with both of those things. Let's grab guys from the AFC North, steal them from our rivals, and you beat me to the punch. I was going to say it's the Joe Burrow effect. Like we're you're right, guys from the division never wanted to come here because we were considered you know the third or fourth best team in the division for a long time, regardless of how good we were. And now with Burrow, guys want to come here and play because they know. They see it. There, there's a big future as long as obviously we can we can keep them healthy. For sure, you know it was um, so Riley Reef. They were paying him like 14 million dollars in, in Minnesota, and the cap is down this year. It'll go back up next year. So I don't know if we'll be able to keep Reef because. But he was like, you know, I got to take a pick up wherever I go. I just want to go somewhere. You know, I mean, he he just flat out said, yes. He said, yeah, I had I had dinner with Burrow, and I just really liked him like that's that's a guy that i'd love that i'd love to protect you know he took like what seven or eight million dollars to come to cincinnati i think he turned down some some a little bit more money to, to come here but we never got we never had situations like that before you never had you never had linemen saying you know i'll, I'll take less money to block for Andy dalton you never you never heard that 100 you know? you're right so casey let's move on to the draft now and we don't have to go into heavy detail but overall how did you feel coming out of it this year I loved it. I loved it. I thought Jamar Chase was the only only pick we could have taken with that first pick. I mean, I watched. I'm a big Bucks fan, and uh, the year that LSU won the championship, I I watched LSU over OSU because they were just electric. Um, obviously, he had Justin Jefferson on the other side, and he had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield and everything else. But he was still the dude. You know, Chase was still this go-to guy at LSU, and then it was it was interesting that uh, the guy from Alabama got so much attention, and you know the Heisman and stuff when Chase was putting up similar numbers just the year before, and he just wasn't getting the Heisman attention because it was because Joe Burrow was playing so well. But yeah, to, to bring in Chase, who is um, what I, what I, what I love also about Chase is he's not a one-trick pony, right? I mean, you it's not a you know, it's not a Randy Moss where we're just going to be throwing him deep balls. It's not a, you know, a slot guy where we're, Chase can do it all. I mean, he, he uh, routinely in college has taken 
you know, middle of the field passes and taking them all the way. He's beating guys deep. He's, you know, making a, a curl catch and breaking a tackle and getting an extra five yards. I mean, you just see him run all the routes, make all the catches. So he's, he's a guy that can do it all. I think he's going to be the, the, the game changer for us, you know. And I think that's, to interrupt you for one second, I think that's yeah, one, yeah. Of the, one of the big things on him is just get him the ball in, in traffic, in the middle of the field, and it feels like he's a guy who's going to be like a running back in the secondary and break a lot of tackles and a lot of yards after catch. So, yeah, I agree. He's, he's going to be dangerous on this level, and it seems like the game isn't too fast for him. It seems like, from what, what I've been reading at least, it seems like he's grasping it right away. Yeah, he just seems to, like, expect to be the best you don't see him you don't you don't the way he moves and and the way he uh you know talks and stuff like that he just like he's 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 basically like yeah yeah i'm i'm the number one pick i'm i'm the best you know but not not in a just confidence i mean it just seems like he's just so incredibly confident that that he can compete with these guys you know and and that this is what he's gonna do right i mean you heard him say he's like i'm coming to cincy to break all the records it's just flat out which is great. We need that from him, you know. Uh, what, what's what's the best thing about having Chase is that we have Higgins and Boyd is because uh, you know, regardless of whoever a team tries to put their – whoever a team puts their number one corner on, I, you know, regardless whether it's Higgins or Chase, we can attack the weakness because, you know, Chase isn't just the only guy we have. You know, so often with A.J. Green, we were um, – Everybody knew he was getting the ball. There were there were plays where you know you, me, and everybody knew that Andy Dalton was throwing the ball to AJ Green, and you know, and we, the corner would be all over and he'd break up the ball. That's not the case anymore. Yeah, and you know that brings to the point the power of the mind, right? Someone like Jamar Chase, someone like Joe Burrow, that believe in themselves so much that you almost will things to happen. You know, I mean, a lot of it's physical. We know that. I mean, it's a large part physical. But if you have that mental confidence, it can really carry you. And both of those guys are the same way, in my opinion. You can tell they're so confident, but they don't come across as as unlikable and cocky. I mean, maybe that's because we root for the Bengals. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's many people across the league that don't like a Joe Burrow, you know, even though he does have that swagger. Right, so I'm a, I'm a big Buckeyes fan. As you know, Burrow went to um, Ohio State before LSU, and, and generally when people transfer from a school, it, it can be kind of off-putting, right? Maybe a little awkward, you know, maybe some bridges burnt or something like that. I remember, man, when Burrow went to LSU, all these guys, all these OSU guys, they're all over Twitter, just like nothing but support. Bucks had a, a noon game, and LSU's playing at 8 o'clock, and all these OSU guys are, are tweeting during the LSU game, all their support for Burrow. It just seems that wherever he goes, he just has all this support, right? Obviously, LSU loves him, but I just I just saw an interview with Mike Brown a couple days ago, and he goes, uh, he just said, yeah, Burrow's just, just came in here and just won everybody over. I mean, the entire organization just just loves him. You know, like what you said, it's it's confidence, but it's not like egotistical it's the guy you want to root for. 100%. And and it's a rare breed. I mean, you know, all of us, maybe in our own circles, we can be that person. But, I mean, this guy just does it on a national level at the at the highest level. Just, you know, wins over hearts and minds very quickly. It's He really does have that it factor. And it showed up on the field last year. And if that continues, you know, we, we have our Tom Brady. How are you feeling about the rest of the draft for the Bengals? My next favorite pick was actually a little later. Uh, but I will talk about, I loved, or, you know, I guess I could say I loved the, the Jackson Carmen pick from Clemson. So it's a, it's obviously a home, homegrown guy, right? He's a five-star tackle. I thought it was interesting that he got a, a low grade, uh, you know, low draft grade, because here's a guy who was a starter for Clemson the last two years. And you look at who Clemson played in the last two years. They're, they're in the college football playoff. They're playing OSU and Alabama in the playoffs and national championship games each of those two years. And here's this guy as the starter at tackle for the for those two years. And, you know, they said that he gave he lost like something like two or three percent of his pass blocking plays. And then you you think, okay, he lost two or three percent of his pass blocking plays, but he's going up against Chase Young, 
He's going up against you know the guys from Alabama. I mean, just the best of the best, and he performed at the highest level. I mean, it's a no, it's a no brainer, no brainer at, at, at that second um, second round pick. So I like that pick a lot. But the probably the guy that I think is going to do the best, and the pick that I like the best, is the um, the guy from Texas. This hybrid outside linebacker, defensive end. That's just a, he's just a freak athlete, right? He's like six four, like two forty five, with a thirty five plus inch vertical, running a four five, and and he's just wild on the field. You know, he's just he had a chase down. I think it was, I think it was Houston. But anyway, one of the he, he has a chase down backside sack to win them the game one time, like a walk off sack. Uh, to, to end the game and win the game. Just a super high motor, unbelievable athlete. I think he's going to come in and do really, really well for the Bengals. Yeah, I'm hoping that all those linemen that they drafted pan out. You know, even the later round offensive guard, offensive, guard, offensive tackle, the pass rushers, you know, they tried to bolster both sides of the line. We'll see how it all works out. Um, all right, let's move on to another question. So what do you think are going to be the keys to this season, and what are your thoughts on how this season is going to go? Yeah, so anybody that talks to me knows that uh, I'm kind of an unrealistic optimist in all all areas of life, <laughs> but, <laughs> but especially in sports and especially in my, my teams. I mean, I, for the last couple of years, I've been saying, oh, Bengals are going to have 11 and 12 wins. And I'll say it again this year. I think the Bengals are going to have, like, 12 wins, you know, 12, 13 wins. And just because, you know, I think they they have what it takes, I think. But, uh, you know, we'll see uh, if they put it together. But you know, as far as the keys to winning, I don't think that we did enough on defense to really be a dominant, dominant team. We added some pieces on the defensive line. We shored up the, the corner positions. You know, we've got solid guys, I think, in Waynes and Abouzier and, and Hilton. Obviously, Jesse Bates is one of the best there is. Von Bell's a, a good playmaker, but we don't really have playmakers at the linebacker position. I think Logan Wilson is the average to above average. Davis Gaither, I, I was hoping that he would make a few more plays than what he did. I mean, he was like this big-time guy at Appalachian State, and he just seemed like he was behind a little bit last year. But I, I don't think we're going to be world beaters on defense, but what we do have is an amazing offense. And so I think that, you know, in order to beat guys like the Ravens, the Bills, the Chiefs, that can just score like crazy, is our offense is going to have to move the ball and have that time of possession. So if you remember, you know, back when, you know, the Ravens would win the Super Bowl because they just get so many three and outs, right, on defense and turnovers and everything else. But the on the, on the opposite side, you know, the Chiefs can win so many games because – they can score from anywhere on the field. You know, they can they can do an 80-yard drive, would take up, you know, eight, nine minutes on a drive any time in the game uh, because they can run the ball, they can throw the ball inside, outside, you name it. And I think that that's what the Bengals are, have gotten to on offense. I think that we're going to be able to run the ball inside, outside. I think we're going to start throwing the ball to mix in a little bit more. And we have the offense now, I think, to, to really eat up the clock and you know, end with touchdowns, not field goals, and that's what we're going to have to do to beat, you know, these other amazing teams. The Browns are going to be super difficult. The Ravens are going to be super difficult. Like I said, the Chiefs you got to keep the ball out of their hands. Only not from a defensive perspective, from an offensive perspective. That's an excellent observation. That's a real low-key, great point. Is managing the clock like that? You you forget about it, right? If you're playing the Chiefs and you're having three and outs, and you're giving Mahomes extra possessions in a game. It's going to haunt you, and the Browns, especially with that running game. That's that's a very good point. That if our offense can have those eight nine minute drives, it's going to help the defense. Ending with a touchdown, not a field goal. I mean, those, those are major points, and um, yeah, definitely some quality analysis there. And I want to agree with you. I'm the same way with the Bengals. Every year, no matter who's on the <laughs> roster or not. People ask me how many wins you think they're going to get. I always say eleven. So I'm I'm right there on board. I don't know now with seventeen games, I might have to start saying twelve. But right. uh, I'm I'm the same way, and it was refreshing to hear you talk about that. All right, last question for now. Who are, I know that Corey Dillon is is one of your main guys, but who are some other 
Bengals players in history that you've you know really been drawn to? Justin Smith was fun to watch. You know, he was just a just a brute. Another guy that just didn't seem you know he wasn't going to beat you with his speed. He was just this this brute defensive lineman that was fun to watch. I told you about Archell Hawkins. I was a huge, huge, perfect and Pac-Man Jones fan. Oh, me too. Um, they just, I loved the way they played football. At the end of the play, they either had the ball or the ball was on the ground. I mean, they were just attacking all the time. They're stripping the ball, attacking the ball. They're not letting anybody have anything easy ever. You know, I mean, they just played all out, super aggressive, Every single play. I mean, and that's how you play football. They're not the kind of guys that are like, you know, having good graces with the other team or helping people up or shaking <laughs> hands or like high fiving. You know, like before no. the game, Burfick's at the 50 yard line, right? Ready to fight whoever's on the other team. I mean, yeah, those guys were so much fun to watch for those years. Right. Yeah. And it was, and it was, it was fun because they could back it up. I mean, Burfick should have won us the playoff game with that interception, right? If Jeremy Hill doesn't fumble the ball, Burfick is the savior instead of the villain, you know? You know, Adam, Pac-Man Jones, my word, how many games did we watch where he just, he flipped the game with a punt return, right? Where it it was so funny that he would, um, you see him on the sidelines all the time. He was always in the coach's ear. Let me put, let me, let me get this punt return. Let me get this punt return. He was never a regular punt returner. And we would only ever use him in situations where we needed a big return. And the, and the other teams never caught on to the fact that he's one of the best returners in the league. We only ever use him when we need a, a big return. And they always punted to him. And he always seemed to deliver. You know, he, he'd have a, a, you know, a 25-yard return or, you know, he, he had one against the Browns that won us the game. Punt return for a touchdown. He was just athletic, you know, to the hilt, right? I mean, he just was one of the better athletes in the league for a long, long time. Uh, it was it was just, yeah, so much fun to watch all the different things he could do. And you're so right. I mean, I mean, the other team should have been game planning, planning a little bit better. You knew when he was in there that we were in desperation mode and in need of a good return. And you're right. It wasn't just like having like 70-yard returns and touchdowns. I mean, that... That nice 25-yard return that gets you across midfield could be a big game-changer. And we all know the reason why he didn't return more punts, because he was very valuable on defense back then. I mean, he was a shutdown corner, even though no one was calling him that. So they didn't want to have him out there on just any old punt return, but totally agree with both of those observations. You know, I could ask you about Bengals players of the past forever. It's it's fun reminiscing about those guys, because you have a lot of similar opinions and thoughts that I do on that stuff. You know, one other guy that has recently left that we didn't touch on earlier, what do you think of the Giovanni Bernard departure? I think he was probably the most liked guy on the team, and so a lot of people aren't going to like what I have to say about this, but I never understood why the Bengals had Joe Mixon and took him off the field on third down. Like, I understand that Giovanni Bernard was more of a, you know, a receiving back and whatnot, but I always thought we were hindering ourselves by taking Mixon off the field on third down. Because I think he catches the ball just as well as Bernard, but I think after the ball is caught, Mixon gives us so much more potential than Giovanni Bernard. And so, you know, unfortunately, like I said, everybody likes Giovanni Bernard, but I think with Bernard gone and Mixon now going to be our go-to on third downs, honestly, it's going to open up our offense a little bit more. Getting Mixon more involved in the passing game is going to open up our offense more because I think that he's going to be able to do more with those receptions than Bernard was able to. No, I, I hear you in those regards. I mean, the only thing I would say is, and I agree, I mean, Mixon on third down is just as dangerous as Bernard, if not more dangerous. That's that's obvious. But what about the workload? I mean, what if he is playing three down ball, you know, over the first 12 games or so? I mean, you know, do you worry about endurance? Yeah, that's that's a, a great point. Um, I think that Samaj P. Ryan is going to have to be you know, come in and more on, on first and second downs. I think that, you know, to make sure that Mixon is there in crucial situations on third downs, you're going to have to incorporate uh, P. Ryan in, in first and second downs, uh, which isn't going to make a whole lot of sense um, because generally your, you know, your bell cow back is going to be there for you on first downs. But, you know, P. Ryan, I think, is a very capable back, right? He had a, an amazing college career. You saw he had a great, you know, 50 yard touchdown where he broke a, you know, broke, broke a, a uh, 
tackle and took it to the house. Um, and I think that he pass blocks just as well as anybody. You know, you don't lose. I don't think you lose anything in pass blocking from mixing the P Ryan. And, uh, and, and realistically, with Burrow on the team and Boyd, Higgins, and, and Chase, we're going to be throwing the ball more on first downs. Everybody's going to probably going to know that we're going to throw the ball a lot this year. So that's probably how I would get get around that is uh, incorporate yeah incorporate P Ryan more on first and second downs. Definitely a clever answer, and that really is the way to go. Because and you're right about about P Ryan. He is a, a, a straight ahead back. I've I've said it on previous podcasts. You hand him the ball, and then there's a brick wall in front of him. He's going to try to run through the brick wall. So you're right. That's a guy that on first and second down is not going to be afraid to run in between the tackles. And that will take some workload off Mixon. And if you're only looking to get three, four yards on those plays anyway, I, I think that P. Ryan can handle that role. So, yeah, that's a very clever way to avoid Mixon getting overtaxed. All right, Casey, this has been an absolute pleasure. How do people find you on social media? Oh, social media, I mean, I think my Instagram is KC, like actual letters KC, Norris, 19. So if you like watch if you like uh, what singing videos and cat pictures and pictures of some waterfalls and whatnot, you can give me a follow on Instagram. Excellent stuff, my friend. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me, man. Great talking to you. I, I always appreciate talking about Bengals, man. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode, we're going to continue our training camp coverage, and we're also going to bring back good old friends Sands and Tom McLevy. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast.